Hey, if you don't mind, as I introduce this series called Bible Basics, I think it's very important that we all have a stronger foundation of the Bible. And um, several keynote pastors across the country are doing this, and I just wanted to join in them with them. And today, we'll be looking at the uh, Old Testament. Before we do that, though, would you please stand with me? I want to read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 in the Amplified Bible, and let's just read this together if you don't mind, please. Every scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof, conviction of sin, for correction of error, discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness and holy living, in conformity to God's will and thought and purpose and action, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, thank you. You can be seated. That's our foundation scripture. And uh, so much with that, I love that one phrase where it says that the the word of God is God-breathed or God-inspired. And uh, I appreciate what President Ronald Reagan said. He said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers, are all the answers for the problems men and women would face. You know, the Bible was written over 1,600 years ago, and it it was written over a period of 1,600 years ago. It was in a dozen countries, over three continents, by 40 people in three different languages. It's fascinating. But through it all, believe it or not, this is a simple thing about the Bible that's so beautiful. It had one story because that had one author, which was Father God. I think it's interesting that how God orchestrated the Bible and he gave it two parts. Of course, we're going to look at the Old Testament this week or in this message in the Old Testament, the next one. The word testament simply means covenant, and you could break that down to discuss a lot of things, but it means covenant, which is the relationship between God and mankind. And the books, now this is interesting, now the books of the Bible are not necessarily in a chronological order as far as a sequence of time, but they're, they're arranged in a, in, a, in a structure manner that I thought is interesting. There's four structures. Listen to this. It's, it's arranged by books, basically. First, there's the law, which is simply Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then there's history, which I think is interesting. There's 12 books. Notice the 12 books are Joshua through Esther. Then there's poetry and wisdom. There's five books there. That's Job through the Song of Solomon. And then the prophets, of course, there's 17 books there. There are five major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, and 12 minor prophets, Hosea through Malachi. And basically, Basically, that's the structure of the, uh, of the Old Testament. I love the way it, God orchestrated that. And again, I'm here to show you the, the, that out of the complexity of the way people sometimes approach the Old Testament, really there's the beauty of simplicity, that God had foundationally built off one thing after another, beginning with the law, then into the history, and then the poetry and wisdom, and of course, in prophetic utterance with 400 prophecies of Jesus coming. Isn't that awesome? 400, not 400. Four, not 40, but 400. I think it's so interesting that throughout human history, the struggle between God, uh, between the struggle between rejecting God and coming back to God was the plan, you know, of God to restore man back to himself. And I want to take you on a journey here for a couple of minutes. Um, And again, this is just some things that I have on my heart and I've outlined. First of all, I want to do a quick uh, parallel, if you don't mind, between the Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament tells a story about a people, right? But the New Testament tells a story about who? One person, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, of course, centers around Abraham and Moses, basically. But the New Testament centers around who? Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Old Testament uh, gathers around Mount Sinai, if you'll let me say that. <laughs> 
the place of Moses' encounter with God. And the New Testament, of course, gathers around what? The cross. And number four, the Old Testament shows the wrath of God against sin. And that's where we see so many times when people read the Old Testament and don't understand it, they see, you know, how God was wrathful, not against man necessarily because he didn't love man, but it was the sin that man was committing. But the New Testament, what does it show? You see no more times of wrath. You see what? The grace of God against sin. And that's the beauty of our Father. And then number five, the Old, the old, the old Testament writes the law on tablets, was which Moses uh, went up to the mountain, got, and then he came down and threw them down. <laughs> he got pretty mad. But uh, just a joke here. This is a Don Anderson joke. Uh, Mr., uh, uh, Mr. Anderson would, would like this one. Moses had the first original tablet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he had the first original tablets. But anyway, the New Testament, what's the New Testament do? It writes the law on where our hearts and our spirit, and that's the beauty of it. Hey, I want to take you on a journey here to the one of the primary figures in the Old Testament, which is Abraham. And we're going to go to Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. Abraham obeyed God many times, as we've seen in the Bible, and many times in his walk with him, but no test was greater than or more severe than what we're about to read in Genesis 22. God had promised uh, God had promised him several times that from Abraham's own body would come a nation and a people as the stars in the heavens. Of course, this is recorded in Genesis 22, I mean Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Abraham was specifically told that a promise, the promise of having his own child would come in Genesis 21. But we pick up here in Genesis 22 verses 1 through 14. And again, this is, this, is, this is picking up what I believe is the foundational. When you understand what happens here in Genesis 22, and I would encourage you to read Genesis 22. We're reading uh, verses 1 through 14, but if you read through verse 24, you actually see another note about the land of Israel and the promise of God, which relates to what's actually happening in Israel right now. And so notice what it says in Genesis 22, verse 1. And again, I'm just going to read these, 14, verse, these 14 verses to you. And please remember, uh, you know, there's a lot to cover in the Bible. The reason I chose Abraham, because of what I'm about to share with you what Abraham actually did. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Now, notice that in verse 1. He said that God tested him. And uh, does God test today? I believe a word test is, is a good word, but he also challenged us to see how we're going to re respond and react. And I love what Abraham said in verse 1. He said, here I am I. I'm right here. I love that. What if he called your name? What would you say? I'm just moving right along. Verse 2, then he said, now, watch this, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and the one you love, watch this, to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I tell you. And notice between verse two and verse three, there's no discussion. That is the amazing thing. What if God spoke to you in an audible way and said to take your child to be sacrificed? Verse number three. And so Abraham, what did he do? He got up early that morning and saddled up his donkey or got in his Toyota Tundra and took Isaac to the, and the young man with him. Just a joke there. You'll get it later. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. Verse number four. And then on the third day, he lifted up his eyes and, and saw the place afar off. So they're on this journey. And Abraham said to the young man, now watch this. This is the beauty of Abraham. 
Abraham was not only a man that obeyed God, but he had a keen way of honoring God. I consider him the original John Wayne, if you allow me to say that. Then on the third day, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship. And notice at the end of verse 5, and we, everybody say we. We, one more time, we, we will come back to you. Isn't that interesting? Now, God told him to go sacrifice his son, but notice what he says here. He says, we are going to come back to you. This is an interesting thing to see about Abraham. And so look at verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. And verse 7, and Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. Then he said, look at the fire and the wood, but where is the the burnt offering. Great question, Isaac. But look what he says in verse 8. Then Abraham said, my son, listen to this. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Abraham is predicting what the fall that happened in Genesis as far as Adam and Eve. He's predicting the bringing of Jesus into the earth. And I think this is so fascinating. He says again in verse 8, God and Abraham said, my son, God will provide. Notice what he says. He didn't say a sacrifice. He said a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Verse 9, then they came to the place which God had told them. So Abraham's being very specific. And Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar and upon the wood. Now this is getting interesting. In verse number 10, then Abraham stretched out his hands. He was actually seeing himself do this and took the knife to slay his son. And look what happens in verse 11. Verse 11 says, but the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And notice what he said, here am I. And he said, verse 12, do not lay your hand on the lad nor do anything to, to him. For, I, for, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Isn't that powerful? This is setting a precedent for Jesus to come in the earth. And then look what happens in verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes, looked beyond what he saw there, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And notice the last verse, verse number 14. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is today in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So here's the story that's so foundational to the, to the book, to the entire Old Testament. Testament that gives us the foundation to Jesus. And I just wanted to share with you that five things I've observed and noted here and studied out that why did God command Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Let's just look at that here. Number one, God commanded, God's command to sacrifice Isaac was to test Abraham's faith. He tested him. And, and God's tests prove, in my opinion, prove and purify our faith. These tests came, caused us to seek him and to trust him beyond what we can see. And again, I'm not talking about a test. There's a difference between a test and a trial. Hear my heart in that. I'm talking about the test of God where he asks you to do something. For example, when I started this church 18 years ago, that was a test of whether I was going to obey or not. I was in a traveling ministry. I was doing 50 basically weekends a year in different churches. And then over a 
period of time over exactly a year, a year and a half, we'll say 12 to 16 months, God was dealing with me about planting this church. And so I did it methodically through a process that was a test. I wasn't looking for something to do necessarily. I was doing something, but God placed that on my heart and then I walked it through. And I'm so glad that I did 19 years later. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what God asks you to do. He'll ask you to do something and prompt you to do it to hope that you will obey. Now, a trial, on the other hand, uh, your enemy will take care of that. He'll send you through a trial and he'll put a trial on you, you know, all the time. But there is a difference. Number two, God commands, God's command to sacrifice Isaac was to validate Abraham as the father who have, the, as the father of all who have faith in God. Abraham just happened to be before us and God was looking for a man. Everybody say God was looking for a man. And God found that man in Abraham. And that's the beautiful thing. He found him. And if you happen to be in that generation, maybe it would have been you. And we, instead of been Abraham, we'd have called him David or whatever, Don Anderson. I mean, you know, just whoever the name would have been at that time. God was looking and he found Abraham. And of course, Abraham's faith was actually credited to him as righteousness, as it says in Romans chapter four. And I am so thankful for that heritage of faith that Abraham has given you and I. And number three, God's command to sacrifice Isaac was to provide an absolute uh, example of obedience. I mean, you look at Genesis 22, and I only have the time here to read the chapter or read the first 14 verses. I encourage you to read that entire chapter, please. It reveals so much to the faith that this man had and the obedience and the foundation to all the New Testament we have. And of course, everything that happened in the Old Testament because of Abraham's obedience. I mean, we find in this man a perfect example of how to respond and react to God's prompting and leading in your life. Number four, God's command to sacrifice Isaac was to reveal, of course, God is Jehovah Jireh. Look what happened here. He not only gave Abraham the command and showed him what to do, but he eventually provided the way out for Abraham, which was, or the sacrifice that God wanted, which was the ram. And so on the way up to the mountain, I thought it was interesting that Isaac inquired as the animal to be sacrificed. His father said, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. In just a second, God's provision of the ram is an absolute perfect example of how Jehovah Jireh will meet every single need in every single situation if you will obey him. And then number five, listen to this. God's command to sacrifice Isaac was to foreshadow Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I mean, think about this. The story of Abraham prefigures the New Testament teaching on atonement, the sacrificial offering of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was given to as the sin for mankind was represented there in the situation with Isaac and, of course, Abraham. I just want to take you now in just the last couple minutes here. This is awesome. I've been <laughs> waiting to do this for days now. There's some parallels that I think are so beautiful concerning the sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus and how it parallels itself. And by the way, please let me encourage you. If you've not read through the Old Testament, don't be scared of it. Start in the book of Genesis, of course, and read the book of Genesis first and let that be the foundation. Maybe you want to be like me. Look at the movie, The Ten Commandments with Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston. I realize that's not necessarily ordained by God, but it's pretty close to being biblical to what you see as far as imagery. And you get a, get a sense of what is happening with the obedience of God's people and the disobedience of God's people and how God 
patiently, everybody say patiently, patiently took them through all that time period, including King David's reign and Solomon and into the prophetic years. And then all those prophecies accord led to what? Matthew chapter one and our precious Lord and Savior's birth and entrance into the earth. I know that some people would say, Pastor Brian, I've tried to read the Old Testament. Maybe I can understand what you're talking about right here. But what about all those names? And what about this person begetting that person and that person begetting that person and, and all that heritage of people being born? I understand that. Please understand that. That's important. And all I can tell you is this. When we get to heaven, we'll all be wearing name tags. <laughs> so other than that, that's the only way I know how to describe it. They're important, though. That is the beauty of the detail of our Heavenly Father. He is so amazing that he details everything out in the Bible for you and I. And by the way, there's great technology out there. There is, of course, the iPads and the iPhones and other devices. Uh, you can get, and by the way, for those of you who are, are, are 20 and below, there are things that we, we used to call uh, CDs and cassette tapes. What's a cassette tape, Pastor Brian? Well, trust me, it's a device that Sheila and I used to use and some of you used to use. And I'll even go further. I had an eight-track tape one time. Wow, how about that? How many of you remember that? Anyway, um, and it was pretty awesome. How many of you used to have those cassette tapes and they would tear up and the little string would fall, the thing would fall out and you try to spin it all, put it together. I even tape stuff together. And it was so, even my music tapes back there in the 80s, man, it, and then when we'd cut it up and, and you miss a song and then all of a sudden you tape it all back together and at least half of the song out. <laughs> Anyway, but those were the days anyway, but technology is a blessing and I want to encourage you to utilize technology, whatever it is and whatever you're comfortable with and let the Bible be read to you. I mean, there are some great people that can read the Bible. I mean, soothing people. And by the way, they even got the Bible now where it's got music behind it and it's got water flowing behind it. I mean, it's awesome. And my point with all that is for you to have a journey, everybody say journey, journey and understanding the great love of your father. And let me take you on some parallels for a couple of minutes before we close. Number one, when it said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is Genesis 22, two again. Look what the parallel is. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only son. Isn't that interesting? How that parallel from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. Number two, now, this is fascinating. God, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him here, sacrifice him there. That's Genesis 22, 2. It is believed that the same area, this is the same area in the, in the city of Jerusalem, was built many years later. That, 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 let me say that again. It is believed that this is the same area is where the, the city of Jerusalem is built that Abraham actually was going to sacrifice Isaac. Isn't that fascinating? And, and, and all these years later, Jesus was crucified basically in the same area that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Isn't that fascinating? I got a question for you. If God can put all this kind of detail in the Old Testament, the New Testament, can he not orchestrate your life? Absolutely. So why are you fearing if you're trusting him? I, I just got to go. I, I, I'm sorry. I have to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader right now. Just praise him. I don't look as good as those girls do, but I tell you what, my heart's pure in the fact that I love him and he deserves to be praised because of the beauty of who he is. Number three, number three, listen to this. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Genesis 22, two, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. I mean, the parallel between Jesus and Isaac is powerful. Number four, watch this. And this is interesting. 
Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Listen to this. That's Genesis 22, 6. Jesus carried his own cross, which was made out of wood, from where? From the Roman hall up to Mount Golgotha. Isn't that fascinating, the parallel, how that God laid on Isaac, I mean, how Abraham put the wood on Isaac, and then the wood was placed on Jesus' back, and he was made the sacrifice in the very same spot that Abraham was going to uh, sacrifice Isaac. The beauty of our father. Number five, listen to this. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Genesis 22, 7. And then John, in John 1, 29, this is what John said in verse 29. He said, look, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now think about this. John, when he first saw Jesus, he could have said, hey, that's the king of kings. That's the Lord of lords. He could have said, that's Jesus, our king. That's Jesus, our savior. But what did he say? Let's read it together. Look, the... there you go. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that beautiful of God orchestrating that moment in John when John first sees Jesus and proclaims that all the way back to Isaac in that situation? I'm telling you what, again, I have to tell you, folks, if he can orchestrate all that, he can sure do an excellent job with your life. And he wants to and he will. And that is my prayer. Number, look at this, number um, Six, God himself will provide a lamb, Genesis 22, 6. Jesus is likened to the spotless lamb, as it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, and the slain lamb in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6. Number seven, watch this. Isaac was a young man at the time of his sacrifice, and he obeyed his father. And look what it says here. Jesus, as a young man of 33 years old, what did he pray in the garden? He said this, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Isn't that beautiful? How God parallels Isaac to Jesus and how he orchestrated all that. I don't know about you. It just excites me how you see these things in the Old Testament complete the New Testament. And we're going to look at that next week. And then here's another one that's this powerful. Listen to this. This is number eight. Isaac was basically figuratively resurrected. Abraham declared that God would raise him from the dead. Remember that? Because he told, the, he told his two young men, he said, listen, the lad and I, we are going to leave you here and we're going to go over there and we're going to come back. I mean, in his mind, as he's walking with his son, his only son, the promised son, and remember, this was the promise that God had made to Isaac, his only son, after all that he went through with Hagar and Ishmael and the whole process there, and he disobeyed God, and there was that silent time between him and his relationship with the Lord, and now God is asking him to do that. What did Abraham do? He, he rejoiced in the fact that, you know what, I know that God is going to raise him from the dead. And then you think about the parallel, listen to this. Jesus even said in John 8, 8:56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day or seeing this situation. When he saw it, he was glad. This is in reference to Abraham's joy in seeing the ram caught in the thicket in Genesis 22, as we read. The ram was the substitute that would save Isaac's life. Seeing that ram was in essence, listen to this, seeing the day of Jesus, who was the substitute for us all. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know and hear my heart that 
The beauty of the Old Testament is not something to be afraid of. It's something to actually embrace. That yes, the failures of these men are captured in the scriptures and they made mistakes, but who hasn't made mistakes? But the beauty and the grace of our God, and as you start the Old Testament and move through it, and, and again, the warfare and all the struggles you see happening, then you start getting into the prophets, the major and minor prophets, and then you're coming into the end of time there as far as before Jesus comes the prophecy of Jesus then all of a sudden the fulfillment of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 to me personally it makes the Christmas season even more special because I see how God beautifully orchestrated the whole situation with Isaac and Abraham and Isaac and how he did all that methodically and patiently over all that time and then we go into the beauty of Matthew Mark Luke and John I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, I was so encouraged yesterday as I was praying over this and studying this all this week. I just, I can't help but think as we begin to close here in just a couple of minutes, and again, I'm going to repeat this again, so please bear with me, but would you just pause for a moment and think, I know there's a lot of scripture and a lot of things that were said today, and I'll give you a copy and outline, and of course, there's plenty of great authors out there from David Jeremiah to Charles Stanley to many other great scholars that will give you a, an assessment of the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, far greater than I can in 25 minutes. But I've done my best to show you simply one thing, that if God could beautifully orchestrate all those things, he wants to orchestrate your life. You say, well, Pastor Brian, I just don't feel like he's orchestrating my life today or in the past days. But I want you to know he can and wants to, that if he put this much detail into all this, and his love to give his only one son, how much more would he want to see you a success today than a failure? What do I mean by failure? I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about fame or fortune. I'm talking about peace and a purpose within this greater than all that. I've been listening to a biography on Ronald Reagan and the humility of that man, just listening to it, not for anybody's sake but my own. And the thing that I was so impressed with him was he didn't, live his life to be famous. He didn't live his life to be significant. He, he lived his life because he wanted to honor the Lord because of what God had already done for him. And